All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we're going to be crunching a lot of numbers, talking about the Falcons' potential for a fast start, as well as how the Falcons benefit from being more aggressive when they throw the ball down the field. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP. Still going strong on Twitter at Falcfans, putting up weekly content over at the Falcoholic, the SB Nation website for the Atlanta Falcons. And, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Locked On Falcons is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It is an unofficial community center, and we give a big thank you to McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. So guys, today's episode of Locked On Falcons will be very stats heavy. Uh, We'll be starting off talking about the Falcons' tendency for slow starts and how that could potentially impact this Week 9 matchup, Uh, sort of piggybacking on a topic we discussed on yesterday's Crossover Thursday episode, talking about a key to victory being this team starting off fast, and we'll look at some numbers there. Then we'll kind of get into the Thursday practice injury report, and that will lead us into some conversations about Jonathan Ballard and, and whether that means more opportunities for John Kaminsky, as well as some other young players up front to get an expanded um, amount of work this weekend against the Saints. And we'll talk a little bit about Russell Gage and sort of getting him more involved in the offense now that he seems to be on track uh, to be 100% this week, returning from a groin injury. And that will lead us into a conversation about this team's effectiveness offensively when Matt Ryan and this offense is is pushing the ball down the field, taking more shots down the field. And that's been a frequent topic of discussion here on on today's episode. But I'll throw some stats at you that will, I think, definitively back me up on the stance that I have expressed many, many times on this podcast over the last several weeks that the Falcons offense is better when they're pushing the ball down the field. But uh, before we get into all of that, guys, I want to thank you for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen of the day. And of course, Lockdown Falcons is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, and Spotify, and of course, free and available on YouTube. So subscribe to the Lockdown Falcons YouTube channel. Make sure you give us a thumbs up, leave a comment, all that various thing, uh, so that we can grow the listenership on the the video side of things. Um, So, you know, going back to yesterday's episode when we had Ross Jackson of Lockdown Saints on Crossover Thursday and previewing this matchup, one of the keys to victory that I talked about at the end of that episode was the Falcons need to start off fast, largely due to needing to try to take the Saints run game out of the equation because the expectation, uh, as we discussed on that episode, was that the Saints will uh, rely on the running game uh, similar to what we saw Carolina do to a great de- degree of success uh, last week. Um, and, you know, the Falcons needed to start off fast to basically make the Saints abandon the run because the Falcons, if they can play with a lead, you know, teams tend to uh, throw the ball more when they're behind than they do when they're ahead. And so that led me to look up some stats to sort of further emphasize that point 
for today's episode. And I wanted to look at sort of opening drives for both the Falcons and the Saints to sort of compare and contrast. And what's interesting is the Falcons consistently, relatively speaking to the rest of the league, score on their opening drives. They've scored on four out of seven of their opening drives this season, which is 57%, which is the sixth best in the league so far this season. But none of those scores have been touchdowns. The Saints tend to not score on their opening drive. Uh, They're tied for 28th, only scoring on one out of seven of their drives, 14%, and none of those are touchdowns. And interesting enough, both the Falcons and Saints are the only two teams in the NFL so far this season that have yet to score a touchdown on any of their opening drives this season. But the Saints tend to do a little bit better on the job on their second drive, where they are tied for the fourth highest uh, scoring rate with 57%, four out of seven drives, uh, drive twos. Uh, And all four of those scores have been touchdowns. And meanwhile, the Falcons still struggle to get the ball into the end zone on their second drive where they're much closer to the middle of the pack tied for 12th with a 43% three for seven. And only one of those three scores have been touchdowns. So you're looking at the Falcons needing to get off to a fast start uh, by scoring a touchdown early in this game. And this is a trend that goes back a while. And, and, you know, it's not too surprising given that this is Arthur Smith's first year, because the last time we had a first time offensive coordinator in Dirk Cutter in 2019, The Falcons scored often on their opening drive. They had the sixth best scoring percentage on their opening drives, but were closer to middle of the pack, tied for 15th in terms of how many of those scores for touchdowns. And that was only that high thanks to them scoring on their opening drives in the final two games of that particular season. Other than that, they would have scored only one time on an opening drive, scored one touchdown on an opening drive all year long. Um, And so, you know, the reason why we talk about this um, goes in my next point being, you know, that the margins in football are are relatively thin. And one of the stats I found interesting while looking at all this data, looking at pro football reference, going back to their drive data, going back the last three seasons. So going back to 2019, that the team that eventually wins uh, the game uh, was able to score on their opening drive about 46% of the time, while the losing team only scored about 32% of the time. And that 14% difference is primarily uh, the difference between scoring a touchdown and uh, settling for a field goal. And the winning teams score touchdowns on 31% of their opening drives, while the losing team only score on 18% of their opening drives. And the field goal percentage is roughly the same, about 14 15%. Um, and so it's not to sit here and make the case that, oh, all that you need to win a football game is to engineer a touchdown scoring drive on your opening drive and, and bing, bang, boom, you, you've already won the game. Uh, that's not the case, but it certainly does uh, help your case, uh, given again, those thin margins in football that, you know, when a team typically scripts their first 15 plays and that typically lasts through the second or into the third possession, and then they go off script. And if you're playing from behind at that point, if you find yourself down seven to three or 10 to zero or whatever the case may be at that point, you know, it's going to make you probably go veer a lot more heavily off script than what you initially planned on doing. And so that does give you at least the team ahead at that point in time, a significant advantage at that point in the game to continue to dictate the game. But obviously you're going to still have, you know, eight or more possessions over the course of the rest of the game that can decide fate. So it's not to sit here and say that, you know, that first drive determines anything, but it certainly can help dictate things and help guide the next couple of drives. But you know, what's going to be difficult for the Falcons, even if they do get off to that fast start against the Saints this weekend, it's going to be difficult to knock the Saints completely off of their game plan, which is going to be 
looking at running the football. And I continue to look at some other pro football reference data uh, and looked at the number of plays that an offense ran when they were down four or more points this season. And the Saints, interesting enough, were leading the NFL in terms of having the highest percentage of those plays. So down four or more points were run plays, right? 46% of their plays down four or more points were run plays, which is the highest percentage of run percent, uh, run, you know, uh, percentage in the league this year. And the Falcons, for the sake of comparison, um, were only running the ball about 29% of the time down four or more points, which was the 26th highest rate or the seventh lowest rate, uh, depending on your perspective. And so basically what that tells me is it's not going to be easy for the, to knock the Saints uh, to, uh, off their game plan, which is going to be to run the football. We know that we, even when Jameis Winston was healthy, they were running the football a bunch. Uh, and now that they potentially have Taysom Hill, which we know they're going to run the, the football a bunch with a running quarterback, or should we say a running tight end at the quarterback position, uh, if Taysom Hill does wind up suiting up on Sunday, um, or whether it's Trevor Simeon, where I don't think they're going to necessarily put the pressure. You know, Trevor Simeon did throw the ball quite a bit when he came in for Jameis Winston, but I think probably a lot of that was owed to the fact that they were playing the Bucs and they felt the need that they needed to to expand their lead a little bit uh, with Tom Brady playing on the opposite side of the field. So they were probably a little bit more willing uh, to throw the ball with Trevor Simeon last week than they probably will be against the Falcons, where I don't think they'll feel as compelled uh, to need to have to, you know, drop a 30 burger on the Falcons in order to win the game. Uh, no offense to the Falcons, but that's just kind of the difference between the Falcons and Bucks at this point in time. And so, you know, given that we haven't seen the Falcons either get off to fast starts, stopping the run effectively, um, and, and they're going to need to stop the run effectively if they are going to force the Saints to, to abandon the run, right? It's, it's not just going to be their offense getting off to a fast start. They're going to have to make the Saints pay for running the football, and that means stopping the run and, and making the running game be ineffective, and that's really only going to get you to stop the, the, the Saints from um, continuing their game plan. And so since we haven't seen the Falcons stop the run effectively or get off to these fast start scoring touchdowns on their opening drives, um, it's hard to be optimistic about the Falcons' chances. Now, the the, the nature of, of this league and the any given Sunday mantra that we often repeat on this means that just because we haven't seen the Falcons do that for the first seven games of the season doesn't mean that they automatically won't be able to do that in you know their eighth game of the season. So uh, that's the sliver of optimism that we have that okay, this week is the week where it all finally comes together, and you know the, the randomness of football knows that you know this week is as good as any other week that you can pick the rest of the season uh, where it could start to come together. But that's part of the reason why it's harder for me to have optimism or at least to have lowered expectations heading into this week. Um, And we'll get a final score prediction at the end of today's episode, but we'll continue today's episode talking a little bit about the injury report. And that will get us into a conversation about the Falcons defensive line slash pass rush rotation and whether the, uh, potential concussion injury to Jonathan Ballard opens up an opportunity for some young players, particularly John Kaminsky, uh, to get expanded work uh, this weekend and in future weeks. And then we'll also get into a conversation about Russell Gage and it, how it relates to the Falcons offense taking shots down the field uh, as we continue today's Locked on Falcons uh, podcast. But before we get into all of that, guys, I want uh, to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Uh, proudly serving communities since 1965 with tasty, affordable food. And when I go to McDonald's, I'm always on a mission to get fries or McNuggets. Uh, But, you know, McDonald's is a place where 
friends and family can reconnect. It's a place that has dependable Wi-Fi. So it's a place where classmates can meet up for a study group and always have that endless supply of fries and McFlurries. It's a place where if you, whether you're competing for the winning team or the losing team in, in the football game or you're in the stands watching the football game, you can come after the game uh, to refuel and recharge. It's a place that when you're on a road trip, you can rest your legs. Um, McDonald's is always there for you. Uh, so head over to your local McDonald's to refuel, recharge, and reconnect. And because they have that dependable Wi-Fi, you know, you can always check out the latest episode of Lockdown Falcons, McDonald's. I'm loving it. So when we look at Thursday's practice report, Russell Gage, the you know, the main things we, we know Calvin Ridley is probably not going to play this week, but the main things were the other two players listed on the injury report were Russell Gage. He was a full participant on Thursday after being limited on Wednesday with a groin injury. And that certainly puts him on track to play Sunday. Jonathan Ballard uh, remains out with a concussion and he's probably not going to play on Sunday. And we'll, we'll circle back to Gage towards the end of today's episode, but at least with Ballard, um, you know, initially when I saw that, I was like, well, okay, you know, tough break for Jonathan Ballard, but you know, maybe this opens up an opportunity for John Kaminsky, who's been inactive, I think for every game, but maybe one or two this season. But then I looked at the Falcons, you know, inactive list and consistently, it doesn't seem like it's going to really open up an opportunity for John Kaminsky to be active this Sunday, because typically the Falcons only activate five defensive linemen. Uh, and that's probably going to be Grady Jarrett. Tyler Davison, Marlon Davison, Mike Pinnell. And then instead of Jonathan Ballard being that fifth guy, it's probably going to be Taquan Graham, uh, you know. And several weeks ago when Kaminsky first started being inactive, a lot of people made a big deal about it. And I, I've been reluctant to read too much into it. I think a lot of it is just numbers. And, you know, that kind of dictates who gets active. I don't think as much as people like to read into the active and inactive list and, and use hashtag inactive analysis, uh, a hashtag that I believe I first introduced to, uh, I won't say invented, but uh, introduced to the fan base. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's too much to read into it. It's just simply numbers. The team can activate 48 players. And and, and in this case, the Falcons don't necessarily feel like uh, Kaminsky needs to be one of the 48. So I don't know if you should read too much into that, but, you know, I think part of it is that Kaminsky probably doesn't provide as much beef at the position that the Falcons would prefer. Uh, that's why they continue to go with guys like Graham and, and Ballard, uh, as well as picking up a player like Mike Pinnell a couple of weeks back. Um, and Kaminsky is the lightest of the team's, you know, interior defensive lineman. Uh, he's more the type of player that can play out as a D end on early downs and then maybe kick inside to a D tackle position on passing downs. But the Falcons really haven't had that role uh, to a huge degree in their defense this year. And when they've used that player, it's been guys like Ballard. It's been Marlon Davidson filling those uh, shoes. And that's understandable. Um, but, you know, part of me does wonder that given that the Falcons are not getting as much production out of their edge group these last couple of weeks since Dante Fowler's injury, that it would make some sense to maybe give John Kaminsky, kick the tires on John Kaminsky to see what he can provide uh, given that we've seen these last couple of weeks in particular, these last two weeks since the bye week, the Falcons are utilizing Grady Jarrett a lot more on the edge. Um, and, you know, he's been probably their most productive edge rusher uh, in those two weeks. Uh, and so that seems to suggest that the Falcons should be looking for alternative options that maybe 
this is now the time that until Dante Fowler comes back, that this would be the week where you might activate six defensive linemen and really utilize John Kaminsky as maybe an edge rusher um, on, on passing down situations to maybe see if he can provide a little bit more juice at that position. But like I say that, and I, it's not a necessarily, I want to say that because um, it's not a hill that I'm willing to die on. Like I've seen a lot of criticism of this coaching staff and I, I've certainly had my fair share of criticism of saying like they should play this guy or this guy over that guy. And we've talked quite a bit about that, whether we're talking about, you know, particularly on the defense, safeties, corners, linebackers, et cetera, defensive linemen. Um, but it's, I try not to spend too much time or too much energy, you know, to me, what ultimately boils down to nitpicking about who, which players are playing versus, you know, the coaches are in the building every single day. They're seeing how these guys practice. They're seeing how these guys work. And, you know, generally I will give them the benefit of the doubt. It's not always the case. I'm sure you can uh, drum up some archives of me blasting the coaches for not playing a certain guy over another guy or, or whatever the case may be. Um, but generally speaking, like it's not something I'm going to spend too much time or too much energy uh, criticizing them. And, you know, part of this is I, like, I've been a, I guess a vocal defender of Stephen means uh, on this podcast, just because like many years ago, I was a big fan of Stephen means performance or whatever the case may be. And while I do think it's fair to criticize how much Stephen Means is playing, um, at the end of the day, like I don't feel like the coaching staff would feel wrong for playing Stephen Means as much as they have, right? Because if you this, while we as fans can sit here and say like we should give the young guys more opportunities because it may pay off a year or two down the road, the coaches are basically like I don't care about a year or two down the road. I care about what helps us win the game this week. And I think that's a major disconnect between fans and coaches that I, I've tried my best over the years to try to bridge that gap so that fans can, whether you agree with it or not, can at least see it from the coach's perspective that their focus is on winning games, not developing talent uh, for future years. Like they can develop talent. They can develop players in the offseason when they can get their hands on those guys, not necessarily on a Thursday uh, in the middle of, you know, week eight, week nine of, of an NFL season. And, you know, when you look at particularly Stephen Means these last couple of weeks, the reality is, like, the coaches aren't wrong for wanting to play Stephen Means because he's been the most productive edge rusher these last couple of weeks. The Falcons' edge rusher group, according to Pro Football Focus, has generated four pressures in the last two games. Three of those have come from Stephen Means. One of those has come from Brandon Copeland. And, you know, as this, I don't want to make this come off as a criticism of, of Ade Ogundeji, but, like, he was a guy that was getting a lot of hype, like, a month ago from a lot of fans and like he's done absolutely nothing in the two weeks that he's basically been Dante Fowler's replacement. And while I've done my fair share of praising Adeogan Deji, I did it at arm's length to a certain extent because I felt like people were kind of overhyping him, basically trying to pencil him in as like a future starter. When I was like, I don't, I don't know if I go there. He's still kind of a backup level player. He's kind of a back end rotational guy. Um, and, you know, just because he's shown a little bit more, at least in my assessment, his floor is probably higher than I gave it credit for. I don't think that really affects his ceiling all that much. It was basically my take from it. So I was like, good job, Ade, for, you know, outperforming at least my low end expectations for you this season. But I don't think it's going to completely revamp our, you know, assessment of this edge rusher group, which is we knew was devoid of talent. And if you're the coaches, like if you're looking at the numbers and you're looking at the film and you're sitting here saying like Stephen Means played relatively well in that London game and he was one of the few guys to produce against Miami 
off the edge as well as against Carolina off the edge. Like why would we sit here and, and bench him just so we can kick the tires of, you know, John Kaminsky or JTM or, or any of these guys. So like, while I, I sit here or Michael Walker, you know, as another player that often gets thrown out there as he should be playing over Steven means, which that doesn't make any sense to me, but we won't get into that on today's episode. But like, um, I just like, I get it from the coach's standpoint. So it's like, even though I sit here and say like, we should play John Kaminsky more, we should play JTM more or whoever, like, I'm not going to sit here. That feels ultimately like a, a nitpick at the end of the day. So that was the point I want to make before we get into the other aspect of the injury report, talking about Russell Gage and whether or not the Falcons are going to be able to, you know, now that he's healthy, get him more involved in the offense. And that potentially means getting him more involved in the offense down the field by throwing the ball down the field. And we'll look at some stats talking about why Matt Ryan is much more effective or, you know, reflecting Matt Ryan's much more effectiveness in wins, throwing the ball down the field than it is in losses uh, as another, you know, episode 5,000 this season of me basically explaining, hey, the Falcons are better when they push the ball down the field. So I think this will be sort of the definitive one on that one moving forward. But before we get there, guys, I want to tell you guys about Built Bar. They have a a new mystery box contest available. They got a mystery flavor uh, and they got some great prizes. If you can correctly guess what that mystery flavor is uh, by November 12th. You can enter by November 12th, but some of those prizes are a year long supply of built bars, uh, a new iPhone 13 or a $500 gift card to several retailers, including Nike, Amazon, Target, Walmart, Lululemon, Under Armour, etc. cetera. Um, but if you're not into sort of uh, guessing what this mystery flavor, you're not as adventurous to try a new mystery box flavor by going over to built.com and, and buying one. You still got those limited time offer flavors like paranormal pumpkin or blueberry muffin, or you got the tried and true flavors like peanut butter, brownie, coconut, almond, salted caramel, mint, brownie, cookies, and cream, cherry, barcia. And of course you want to take advantage of whatever flavors built bar has because built bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. It tastes just like a candy bar, but you get none of the guilt of eating a candy bar because built bars are healthy too. They're low in sugar and calories, high in protein and fiber. And you can go buy yourself some and enter that contest by heading over to built.com and use that promo code lock 15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. So we talk about bet online a lot on this show. And of course, bet online is your number one spot, whether you're betting for football, basketball, Formerly for baseball, boxing, your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is great now with a new website and interface, and they have even more odds, props, and contests. So BetOnline is your number one source for all the betting that you need to make. And of course, when you sign up today at BetOnline.ag with the promo code locked on, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus. So that means if you deposit $500, you get $250 in free money to play with. And if you want to bet on this weekend's action between the Falcons and Saints, know that now the line has moved in the Saints' favor a little bit to now the Saints are favored by six and a half points. So maybe that makes you feel a little bit better about taking the Falcons as a potential underdog. I don't know if the reason for that is that, you know, Vegas looks at the potential of Taysom Hill starting this game and saying, well, Taysom Hill's a Falcons killer. Let's move that line or whatever the case may be. But of course, bet line continues to be the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, again, from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait. 
Take advantage of all the amazing offers available at Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So when we talk about Russell Gage, you know, my expectation is that we will see a nice bounce back performance from him in week nine against the Saints, like we saw in week two against the Bucks, where Russell Gage was held catchless uh, in that week one game against Philadelphia, like he was held catchless in this week eight game against Carolina. But hopefully, unlike what it was in week two, where the Falcons basically just threw a whole bunch of like short throws and screens to him, where I think Gage finished that game with like seven targets, but I don't think any of those targets went more than five or six yards in the air. It'll be more like what we saw from Russell Gage against the Dolphins, where, you know, that 49-yard bomb withstanding, you know, at least he had one intermediate throw that went more than 10 yards in that Dolphins game, which was not the case in that Buccaneers game. Um, And, you know, you've heard me many times on the podcast, and I know I sound like a broken record at this point, harping on this team's willingness to push the ball down the field. That's why I was so excited about the Falcons finally signing Marvin Hall six weeks after basically pushing for the team uh, to sign him. But like, I, I do have some additional stats um, that will, at least in my eyes, paint a clear portrait of why I think this Falcons offense is so much less effective when they're basically dinking and dunking. And, you know, I looked at Matt Ryan's production in the three wins versus the four losses when looking at depth of target and his throws on the intermediate level. So anything more than 10 yards in the air is counting as intermediate slash deep uh, and anything under 10 yards as sort of short. Um, And so when you combine all those intermediate and deep targets into one group and all the short throws under 10 yards into a second group came up with some numbers. And for those of you, uh, you know, watching on YouTube, you can see, the numbers on the graphic on your screen. And for the audio listeners, I'll do my best to explain it to you. Um, and, you know, I should say up front that the disparity in these numbers would probably be even starker if I counted Matt Ryan's performance against Washington as a win and his performance against the, Joss, the Giants as a loss. Uh, because, you know, I think Matt Ryan had a quote unquote winning performance uh, in that Washington game in that week four loss against Washington. Uh, and played exceptionally well in that game while he just was kind of meh in the Giants game, despite what the box score indicated in that game. Um, you know, I don't think he played particularly well. You, you know, you recall he basically had three interceptions dropped in that game, which is, is never a positive performance in my eyes as a quarterback. So, I, you know, I think these numbers would be even more indicative of what I'm talking about if basically I was like, oh, we look at Matt Ryan's three really good performances and it's for not as good performances, which would require us to flip, you know, the Washington and Giants game into different categories. But without sort of getting into that, we'll touch upon that a little bit uh, later. But uh, but when you look at these numbers, you're not really looking at a drastic difference in the percentage of throws down the field in wins versus losses, right? Pretty much win or lose, you know, you're 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 looking at the numbers on the short throws. They're pretty much the same, right? Win or lose. Uh, there's a stark difference, though, in how effective Matt Ryan is win or lose when it comes to the intermediate and deeper throws. And again, for those of you listening on the audio version of the podcast, short throws account for 65% of Matt Ryan's throws and wins and 70% in losses. So again, uh, not a huge difference. Matt Ryan completes about 77% of his short throws and wins, 82% in losses. Ryan's yards per attempt in short on short throws and wins is 52 his yards per attempt is 5.7 in losses. His passer rating on short throws in wins is 99.4. It's 98.7 in losses. So again, 
very similar numbers. But when you look at an intermediate and deep throws, those throws count for 32% of Matt Ryan's total attempts and wins and 30% in losses. So you, again, you've heard me say many times on the podcast that the Falcons offense seems to be more effective when Matt Ryan is pushing the ball down the field. And again, if I flip the Giants in, in Washington game, the difference would be 36% in wins. If I counted Washington as a win and the Giants as a loss, it would be 36% of his uh, throws and wins would be intermediate or deep throws and only 24% in losses. So that would be a much more substantial difference. Uh, but again, we'll just sort of take it at face value. So really it's where the efficiency diverges if we're not flip-flopping the Giants in Washington game. Completion percentage-wise, Matt Ryan in uh, wins on intermediate and deep throws is completing 68% of his passes, but that falls to 48% in those losses. His yards per attempt in wins on intermediate and deep throws is 13.8, but in losses, it's 17.9. And his passer rating in wins on intermediate throws is 128.7, and in losses, is 90.5. So um, those are the numbers to me. And that, to me, if you've basically been hesitant to, to buy what I've been selling you these last you know five, six weeks or whatever the case may be about the Falcons needing to be pushing the ball down the field more. Like, I feel like that's, you know, now that I hope I've given you a winning sales pitch at this point in time, based off what we've seen so far. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of that is not just simply looking at Matt Ryan, the quarterback or the play calling, or even the wide receivers like Russell Gage. Some of that is owed on to the offensive line. And, And particularly in those first couple of games, the first two games, I think a lot of the dinking and dunking was due to the ball needing to come out quickly uh, due to, uh, the pass protection not being able to hold up. And then I think in the third week against the Giants game, I think despite that being a win, Matt Ryan was seeing ghosts and checking the ball down a ton that week uh, because he basically had been knocked around so much the first two games that uh, he was feeling pressure even when it wasn't there uh, to basically get the ball out quick, which is part of the reason why I don't necessarily consider that Giants game to be representative of what the usual uh, has been for Matt Ryan when he's been playing well. And so, you know, I think one of the things that changed after that point was Matt Ryan stopped seeing ghosts and his ability to handle pressure to me was much better thereafter, starting in that Washington game and continuing uh, as the rest of the season has continued for the most part. And, you know, that's one of the things that you like about Matt Ryan that you've grown to respect about Matt Ryan over the years is he does do his film work over, uh, you know, between, you know, games. And that's why it's very relatively rare where you will see him have two consecutive bad games that if he has a bad game and does, you know, whatever it is that he does poorly in, in the previous game, he will improve upon that the following week. And so if, if there's any reason to be optimistic about this upcoming Falcon saints game, I think it's based off of that right now. It's not to sit here and say that Matt Ryan played poorly or the pass protection was terrible in the, in the Carolina game. You know, I think the initial, prognosis was that the offensive line really played poorly in the game. Although I think watching the film, it was like, yeah, they they certainly could have played better. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't like a disaster by any means. It was certainly good enough. I think that, you know, the Falcons should have performed better on offense if other things had come together for them offensively. Um, And so like, I think you look at that and you say, okay, should the Falcons have a bounce back performance, you know, based off of Matt Ryan's, play over the years, sure, that could be due for them this week in New Orleans. And 
at least theoretically, when you look at the numbers, at least over the course of the season, Carolina theoretically has a better pass rush than New Orleans does. And if the Falcons, while again, didn't play particularly well against Carolina's pass rush, but weren't terrible against it, then they should be better this week uh, handling New Orleans' pass rush because New Orleans' pass rush, at least statistically over the first you know eight weeks of the season, has not been as productive as Carolina's has been. But then we also know that New Orleans has a habit, particularly when the Falcons play the Saints in New Orleans, to terrorize this Falcons offensive line over recent years. That, you know, going back in each of the last four years, Matt Ryan has been sacked five or more times in at least one of these Saints games, and three out of those four games over the years, one in each season, has happened in New Orleans. The one outlier season where it didn't, that pattern didn't hold was the 2019 season, which was, you know, kind of an outlier because when the Falcons went into New Orleans coming off that bye week and beat the Saints, no one saw that game coming. But then coming back home a couple of weeks later, uh, they gave up nine sacks uh, at home against the Saints. And so, you know, this, uh, you know, whatever the stadium is called now, the Little Caesars Pizza Dome or whatever it is, um, you know, now, you know, it's a hostile environment for this Falcons offense has been proven the case over the last several years. And hopefully, you know, this new coaching staff and, and Dwayne Ledford and, and all these various things can change that narrative, break that streak that we've had going now for the last four years. Uh, you know, and so hopefully we'll see that reflected on Sunday. But again, it's hard to be overly optimistic when sort of these historical trends, whether we're talking about the team's slow starts this year, the Saints uh, commitment to the running game, or the Falcons, you know, history of uh, struggling in New Orleans when it comes to pass protection aren't necessarily painting a, a picture that the Falcons should be favored to win. So it's understandable why the Saints are favored in this game. So if I'm giving a final score prediction, I'm still going to probably pick the Saints. I would probably give it a, a final score of a Saints win 24 to 16. But I, I, as we say, any given Sunday, the Falcons could certainly outperform those expectations. Uh, and, and really show up this week and, and give the Saints much more of a game and, and walk away from this game with a win. And, and hopefully they can borrow some of that 2019 mojo uh, when, you know, Dirk Cutter was a first-year play caller going up against the Saints, or relatively first year, again, his second stint in Atlanta, but first year with that group of, of personnel in 2019. And maybe Arthur Smith can do the same thing uh, going up against the Saints in his first year uh, coordinating this offense. And we'll, we'll see what happens with this Falcon Saints game. And of course, we'll be back on Sunday to give you the rapid reaction here on YouTube, here on uh, Odyssey, Google, Spotify, or, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And of course, want to thank you guys for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. And of course, I always give uh, recommendations for your second listens. Of course, you can check out Lockdown Hawks, Lockdown Braves. Lockdown Braves is also available on YouTube as well, as well as the Peacock and Williamson podcast, giving you that national perspective on the Lockdown Podcast Network, where you're getting insight and analysis from all 32 NFL teams from NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson. Of course, Peacock and Williamson is free and available on all those podcast platforms as well. So, guys, I appreciate you for tuning in for another great week of Lockdown Falcons. We'll be back on Sunday with a rapid reaction to whatever the Falcons wind up doing on Sunday against the Saints. But as I've explained here, you know, I'm not going into this game with the highest expectations, but, you know, Frequently, I set the expectations low in the Falcons. Occasionally, occasionally, I should say, maybe not frequently. Occasionally, they exceed those expectations. So I'm hoping this is going to be another one of those weeks. And, of course, nothing would thrill me more 
and to see the Falcons upset the Saints uh, for another uh, hate week uh, that we can completely up in, you know, the natural cycle, as they say, and shock the world by beating the Saints. Uh, so we'll, we'll just hopefully see that this weekend. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. Have a great weekend. Till then.